Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk <laughs> Recorded live. Hello, it's Mike. Uh, it's just about the truth, man's journey to find it. It sounds like there's a waterfall going on. It's a fish tank. <laughs> Anyways, it's kind of nice. Kind of relaxing. Uh, first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 18. Written 2,000 years ago, almost. 1900 and some years. Uh, Hopefully. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Uh, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would not doubt, or wouldn't, no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out, and they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father. I read to, all the way to 20, verse 23. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews. Before we get into all this, Interesting development, to say the least, insight of history, for sure. Hebrews 10, 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while... And he that shall come will come and not tarry. Now he, excuse me, now the just shall live by faith. 
But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Isn't that interesting? All I can say is thank you how much I love my Lord and Savior. And my insights and thoughts at this point and reading the scriptures, and they have a long ways to go, to, <clears throat> but it's looking pretty evident that the scriptures have been abused and used for much too long. God, our Heavenly Father, Israel, and His only begotten Son did come in the flesh and paid for the sin of those that he so dearly loved. The foundation of the world. And I also get to the point now where um, well, I will develop as we go along. But let's put it this way. Um, all the lies and deception revolving around futurism and all its many elements for the past 19 years, 1900 plus years, in particular, since the Council of Nicaea have uh, been misleading uh, the flock for a long time, to say the least. Yet, God's kingdom actually is growing here if one opens their eyes and sees that, yes, there's a lot of false teachings and etc. But there's more people today on this in this world that have faith in Jesus Christ than at any time. Maybe just based on strictly just logically based on numbers. I strongly feel at this point that they had twisted scripture so badly and because we the laity have been denied proper hermeneutics and understanding of the scripture they have been able to the priestcraft to convince people for generations upon generations that their generation was in living in the end times as we do now believe most an awful lot of us who call ourselves Christians and Muslims and others and Jews know how we are being played dupes to help fulfill a plan that's been laid out for the three world wars and only if we would understand Christ's kingdom will never end. And the truth is, if we read study, compare the Old Testament to the New Testament, Book of Revelations, etc., or Revelation, that uh, you're going to find 
a startling realization. And uh, it's been one of those jaw-dropping periods of my life, although there are lots of hardships going on as far as health, finances, raising my son by myself. So yet God has put in my heart to keep going and going to understand his word and uh, or the word of God, the Bible, and it was looking very evident at this point that everything was fulfilled in 7080. And as we go on, I will share my insights with you. You certainly don't have to agree with anything that I say. But I can tell you one thing. Letting go of the baggage of the end of the world type of thing is quite refreshing. And to realize our Lord truly did triumph. And has triumph. But it doesn't seem to be the way we want it to be, just as the Jews in the past. They wanted a king and and a physical ruler, and somehow we need something similar to it. By the way, uh, Andrew, if you get a chance to listen to this, thank you very much for your generosity. Um, Andrew sent me some... uh, Little help, money. Send me twenty bucks, and it turned out to be really nice. It was a nice blessing, and uh, I actually used it for my son. I haven't been able to buy him anything in a while, and uh, so I got a a few uh, of these stick bots. So he wanted it if it's cheap, and I could afford it. So. They give me a lot, but it was enough to get through to get my son something. And it's one of the things I'm learning these days is to live with very little materially, but spiritually and intellectually. Oh, how I've been growing! Now, um, we started. I did uh, a couple of nights ago uh, reading the, at least the introduction to Muhammad and Charlemagne revisited. The history of a controversy, and he, uh, <clears throat> Emmett Scott, uh, mentioned the fact that prominent historians, especially in Europe and all that, have been doing research for the past couple hundred years of starting to find, especially with the advent of archaeology, some very strange inconsistencies. And so when we get done reading these two books, and I know I was going to finish the uh, one book from Edward Henry, but uh, solving the mystery, uh, solving the mystery of Babylon, the great, I will. But um, I've been focusing heavily on uh, my spare time. Recuperating a little bit from health issues, they kind of relapse here. But the other thing is, is um, focusing on eschatology, proper hermeneutics, trying to understand uh, the Jewish language back then and its figurative nature. I think you can be quite shocked as time goes on how. 
uh, with priestcraft, it doesn't matter if it's Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, the Baptists, um, it doesn't matter our organization. It's still, it's been the blind leading the blind in a way of entrapping us and a false system. Christianity really is the gospel of love and somehow we as believers in Christ are throwing that aside bickering and fighting over uh, things that don't matter that much at the end of the day certainly not to the point of abandoning uh, fellowship but the same token when you learn and learn more truth as it goes truth is a lonely warrior as uh, Keith Hansen shared and my prayers go out to Keith prayers go out to you Jerry one um, in the name of Jesus Christ that things will go well for you and you will grow in the knowledge of the truth as I am I find this fascinating that you know and I have to actually make an amends and recant and repent I did shows earlier in the, my journey on uh, French Jesuits, these lacoons or something like that, I can't remember now, that supposedly uh, created what we call as preterism. And of course, man systems and all that. But as you read the Bible for what it actually says, Comparing what's been said in Isaiah and other books with the book of Revelation and others, you, you start to see the the use of poetic figurative language throughout the whole Testament. And that doesn't make it the whole, throughout the, the entire Bible. And that doesn't make it any less literal. I think it's just understanding a little bit more fully um, how they wrote the apocalyptic language. And you're going to find the same language being applied in Matthew 24 and in the book of Revelation. It's also used in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and other books. The exact same language concerning fall of Babylon, uh, the Egyptian pharaoh, and the fall of Assyria, and it just goes on and on. And I really do believe at this point that everything, the exclamation point of the age of the Jew, of Israel, was finished and ended in 70 AD and we are now in the new age in Christ now a lot of people want to try to tell you that we're now in a new age in this, um, the, the Aquarius but it's a lie there is no uh, new age of anything so the new age is totally being deceived according to the word God itself we could look at Daniel 12, the chapter there. 
can go on, and uh, we will. That God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, would, in his in his age, the Christian age would last forever. So yes, there's definitely things going on as far as the world goes. To as you look at Albert Pike's letter about the creation of the Third World War and the creation of the false state of Israel, well, it is a state, I can't remember, but it's certainly not biblical. Um, Christ triumphed. When he said he triumphed, he really did. The problem is our own rebelliousness and our own lack of faith that he actually did triumph over Satan. Which is really bizarre when you start thinking, adding that for 1900 years, people have been uh, duped and lied to by many a man with their titles. Like little popes. Okay, chapter, first chapter of this wonderful book, Who Destroyed Classical Civilization? And in his presentation, he's arguing that, well, the argument has been that <clears throat> Europe, the Europeans, uh, the rest of Western leg of the Roman Empire destroyed itself. Um, that's what the predominant understanding is for most historians. But it's turning out that this is not the case. And that, uh, well, we'll just learn about this. It's fascinating. For centuries, scholars assumed that the civilization of ancient Rome, the civilization we now call classical, was destroyed by the barbarian tribes of Germany and Central Asia, who, during the 4th and 5th centuries, swarmed into the empire and destroyed the political power of the eternal city. The migrations of the Goths, Vandals, and Huns were held responsible for reducing Europe to an economic and cultural wasteland and initiating the long period of backwardness we now call the Dark Ages, in quotes. This was the view that prevailed till the 16th century, at which point, in the wake of the Reformation, a new suspect was added. The Christian, or more accurately, the Catholic Church. According to this idea, one that remains strikingly popular in the English-speaking world, Christianity was corrupted beyond recognition after the time of Constantine and from the 4th century onward, a power-hungry church hierarchy. In cahoots with the imperial authorities kept the population of Europe in subservience and ignorance, effectively completing the destruction or the destructive work 
of the barbarians. With the advent of a more stringent historical method in the 17th and 18th century, cracks began to appear in the above edifice. And by the mid-18th century, Gibbon was ready to exonerate the, quote, innocent barbarians, end of quote. He remained, however, highly critical of the church, which he blamed for extinguishing the rational spirit of the ancients. Even as Gibbon was writing, however, scholars understanding the period was involved was involving and the 19th century was to bring forth a plethora of new types of evidence the discovery and translation of more and more medieval documents gradually re- revolutionized our understanding of the late antiquity whilst by the mid 19th century the new science of archaeology, that's right, a new science. Let's think about that just a little bit. Archaeology, oh, what's it, it's a science. It wasn't even in existence. It's only been around for 150 years or more. It's a relatively uh, <clears throat> new science, isn't it? Okay, you say 150, it's 100-something, though, but years. Okay, extinguishing the rational spirit of the ancients, even given was writing, however, scholars understanding the period was involved. And the 19th century was to bring forth a plethora of new types of evidence, discovery, and translations. More and more medieval documents gradually revolutionized our understanding of the late antiquity, whilst by the mid-19th century, the new science of archaeology was casting its own fresh and unexpected light on the problem. Thus, by the start of the 20th century, it had become evident that, as an imperial power, Rome was already in a fairly advanced state of decay by the middle of the 3rd century. 200 years before the official, quote, end of quote, of the empire in 476. Historians began to speak of the, quote, crisis, end of quote. At that time, they noted the contradiction of the Roman power in the third century, not contradiction, contraction of Roman power in the third century, and the loss and abandonment of several provinces, beginning with Decca and parts of Germany. They noted, too, a general shrinking of cities and the census of construction, that census, secession of construction on, the, on a monumental scale. All the great structures were to this day dot Europe and elicit the admiration and astonishment of the tourists, the aqueducts, the amphitheaters, 
and city walls were raised before the beginning of the third century. After that, there was almost nothing. More and more historians began to discern, quote, a fundamental structural change, and quote, at that time, quote, which the great emperors at the end of the century, and Constantine himself, at the beginning of the next, did but stabilize, end of quote. A new consensus developed according to which there were, quote, two successive Roman empires. First, there is the Roman Empire of Augustus and the Antonians, or Antonians, of which we mainly think. The majestic web of planned cities and straight roads all leading to Rome. Secondly, after the anarchy of the third century, there is the, quote, lower empire, quote, the rural, mili- rural military empire of Diocletian and Constantine. Of Julian, the apostate, and uh, and Theodosius, the, 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 uh, Theodosius the Great. Theodosius, that's what it is. This was an empire always on the defensive, whose capital was not Rome, but wherever warring emperors kept their military headquarters, in the Rhineland, behind the Alps, or in the east, in Nicomedia, or Constantinople, in Tyre, Milan, Milan, excuse me, and Ravenna. The Roman Empire, it thus became clear, was already in an advanced state of decay by the year 200. It was also increasingly less Roman. We hear that, quote, Already before the age of the Antonians, or Antonians, in the second century, it had been discovered as Tacitus, 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 uh, remarked that the emperors could be more else made elsewhere. Than in Rome, and as the above writer Drilly Drilly remarks, by the third century A.D., they were generally made elsewhere. The century we know, quote, there were not only military emperors. From the frontier, there were also Syrian, African, and half-barbarian emperors, and their visits to Rome became rarer and rarer. In the advance of half-barbarian emperors was paralleled with the increasing half- or fully-barbarian army. From the 3rd and even the 2nd century, historians 
noted the recruitment into the Roman legions, not only of great numbers of semi-barbarians such as the Gauls and the Illyrians, but the actual barbarians such as Germans and Sarmatians, Sarmatians, indeed, so far as this custom gone by the fourth century, that by then several distinguished Roman families boasted a barbarian ancestor many generations earlier. That isn't interesting that B being a, a satellite state you want United States of America and the United States, obviously two separate entities. If we look at the military today, it's made up of all sorts of different people. Many coming from Central and South America, many immigrants in particular. I listened to a part of a video that was sent to me by a brother in Christ about Schofield's Bible and the heresy that comes out of that and what's going on and with the Zionist Christians, the claim, outlandish claim, that all the responsibility for what's going on as far as the bloodshed and war in the Middle East lies flatly and squarely in their lap. This could be further than the truth. I'm not defending Zionist Christians, but Zionist Christians are not the ones, the leading elite families of Europe and the United States. The United States government did not ask for the approval of the Zionist Christians or any other person, group of people. The United States of America has never and never will act unilaterally. We are sub, sub, uh, subservient to Rome. Now we can understand why it's so important to look in the past here. Because we still live in the Roman Empire. <laughs> the crisis of the 3rd century naturally became the subject of intense debates, debate amongst historians. Nowadays, it is often regarded as having an economic origin and scholars take of inflationary pressures and such like. This may be partly true, but what seems undeniable is that the real problem lie, lay deeper. There is now little dissension on the behalf, excuse me, on the belief that by the year 100, the population of the empire had ceased to grow and had become begun to contract. The inability to hold the most outlying of the provinces. provinces in Dacia uh, and Germany 
is viewed as an infallible infallible sign of a great shrinking. This shrinkage may have been various may have had various causes, but the practice of infanticide widespread and commonplace in the classical world must surely have had or have been one of the most important. Now, isn't it interesting that we're reading about the Roman Empire back in the first and second century, and they're talking about infanticide, abortions. We all think that it's some kind of new development, and I don't say all of us do, but the majority of people think uh, uh, the industry that, uh, in quotes, medical, end of quote, uh, practice of abortions is something relatively new. Far from it. And it also is symptomatic of a country decline. So as things get worse and much more ta- challenging, there will be more and more abortions. I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm just, if you want to understand why it's really happening, it's not so much. <clears throat> What a lot of the evangelicals and the Roman Catholics try to present, because um, you're going to find out that an awful lot of the people who are giving abortions have an evangelical background, Roman Catholic background. It's not just a bunch of nihilistic, nihilistic atheists that are doing it. Interesting, isn't it? Infanticide. Something that's been going on, by the way, uh, on and off at points in time in the Roman Empire, extreme amounts. And that's what we're talking about here. The only real growth that, as far as population goes in the United States, is the endless. quote-unquote, illegal immigration, um, which is obviously not very much enforced for many reasons, whether it's the Roman Catholic hierarchy wanting to bust numbers for more control, which is seeing how the Roman Catholic Church is recognized as a state status. And um, if most likely the largest landowner in the United States, North America, specifically, I guess. Um, but what, why is the, what they're doing? Well, it's certainly going to be much deeper than we think. Obviously, it's a blending of... Uh, Mexico and its Hispanic culture and East, um, Central and South Africa, South Africa, South, South America, uh, bringing them into the 
the borders. Because by the way, when they say it's illegal, and you start to realize that they're not bothering and enforcing it seriously, this is deliberately designed by the government, and it's about blending the uh, the South or uh, Latin American culture with the Anglo-Saxon, predominantly Anglo-Saxon culture of the Canada and United States, along with a lot of folks from Asia, and of course now, thanks to the wars in the Middle East, they're sending many of uh, uh, Arabs and Muslims over here. This is all about assimilating and also about preparatorial stages of planning for their third world war because the, the grand goal obviously is to take out the Christian Zionists and the Muslims and the Jews which are not when you think about it uh, if the vast majority if not all of it uh, the, all the New Testament has been fulfilled if the mere existence of the Jewish religion is of great hypocrisy. And their whole religion, whether we want to believe it or not, revolves around the hatred of Christians and Christ. It is what it is. And they can say that I'm anti-Semitic, but anybody who spends a little bit of time studying it knows darn well that it's the Semites that are ones that are being killed, marginalized, slaughtered wholesale. So that a group of people under another very strong delusion, believing in some kind of inheritance to themselves, well, they never understood what the true inheritance for Abraham was. And still it's this day, it's a spiritual to those that follow Christ, believe in Christ. And uh, how stupid we are to even buy into some stuff in the state of Israel. Anyways, it's all designed, and as I've been saying numerous, numerous times, this giant concentration camp, those giant walls, I mean, they're huge walls that Israel's building, uh, it's going to, they don't realize it, but it's actually going to be used on them. See, there's always been this problem called the Jewish problem for 2,000 years. Actually, for longer than that. And the Luciferians plan on wiping out these Satanists. There's a reason why they call it the synagogue of Satan. So part of it is they actually worship Satan. Yeah, I, I diverge. I have from here. We'll get back in here. Okay. Anyways, uh, sorry, I did that actually. I'm making a dreadful mistake by interjecting too much of my own opinion and things while reading this book. Okay. Um, yeah. So, infanticide was widespread and commonplace in the quote classical world. Most surely have been one of and the most important 
causes of the shrinkage. Official Roman documents and texts of every kind form as from as early as the first century stress again and again the pernicious attempts by the Emperor Augustus to reverse the situation were apparently unsuccessful for a hundred years later Tacitus Tacitus remarked that in spite of everything quote childness prevailed in a quote while it's towards the beginning of the second century uh, Fellini the younger said that he lived quote in an age when even one young child is thought a burden preventing the rewards of childlessness. Around the same time, Plutarch noted that the poor did not bring up their children for fear that without an appropriate upbringing, they would grow up badly and by the middle of the second century, I guess it's Heracles claims that, quote, most people, unquote, seem to decline to raise their children for a not very lofty reason, love of wealth, and the belief that poverty is a terrible evil. During the third century, successive emperors made efforts to outlaw infanticide, though how successful they were remains unclear. What seems certain is that even if infanticide became less important in the third and fourth century, the birth rate remained stubbornly low, for the Romans also practiced very effective forms of birth control. Abortion was also practiced and caused the death of large numbers of women. So, as we're reading about this infanticide, of course, infanticide is actually killing the baby once she's born or he's born. And one of the tendencies that they would do is they would take their baby to like the landfill, the dump, right after it's born, and let the wild packs of dogs and the birds alive. But now we live in a day where that doesn't have too much because of the effectiveness of abortion. Abortion was also practiced and caused the death of a large number of women, as well as infertility and a great many others. Quite possibly, by the end of the first century, the only groups in the empire that was increasing by normal demographic process were the Christians and the Jews. <clears throat> Taking this into account, 
several writers by the early years of the 20th century began to suggest that Rome's adoption of Christianity in the 4th century may have had as one of its major goals the halting of Rome's population decline. Christians, and it was also, you know, yeah, Christians. Eventually to Catholics, right? Roman Catholics. Christians had large families and were noted for their rejection of infanticide, which is quite amazing that back in the day, that's how barbaric it was, that you would be noted, recognized that you reject infanticide. <laughs> and it wasn't an evil place. In legalizing Christianity, therefore, Constantine may have hoped to reverse the population trend. He was also, to some degree, simply recognizing the inevitable. By the late 3rd century, Christians were already a majority in certain areas of the East, most notably in parts of Syria and Asia Minor and were apparently uh, the only group, apart from the Jews, registering an increase in many other areas. This was achieved both by conversion and by simple demographics. The Jews, too, by that time, formed a significant element in the, emperor's, in the empire's population. And for the same reason, they, like the Christians and their Christian cousins, abhorred the practice of infanticide and abortion. It had been estimated that by the start of the fourth century, Jews formed up to one tenth of the empire's entire population, and hence this is where we get Judo Christianity. Which is quite an oxymoron. You can, Christians could be no more Jews than Jews could be no more Christians. What they Judaize, if you will, along with paganizing Christianity through the Talmudic Jewish system, you find that the secret arts and the Kabbalah. Kabbalists, Jewish mysticism runs rampant, rampant in what we call Christianity, and has been that way for a very long time. And here we go. For a population or a group of people that represents such a small number, in reality, if you look at the Roman Empire, Western Europe, Asia Minor, there's always been a large number of Jews. Uh, by the way, 10% of any particular group is quite significant when we're talking about an umpire. At least. Okay, um, Question of historians uh, whether the, the legalized Christianity, therefore, okay, here, 
the empire would have become Christian anyway. The question for historians was, did Constantine's surmise and gamble prove correct? Did the, Christ, the Christianization of the Europe or the empire halt the decline? On the face of it, the answer seems to be no. After all, less than a century later, Rome herself was sacked, first by the Goths, and then several decades later by the Vandals. And by 476, the Western Empire was officially dissolved. However, by the latter years of the 19th century, more and more evidence began to emerge, much of it from archaeology, which seemed to suggest that Roman civilization did not end in the 5th century. Some of the most important work in this field was done by Austrian art historian Lois Regal. Louis, Louis, who did much to redefine the 5th century and 6th century as late antiquity rather than part of the Dark Ages, as they had previously been habitually designated in his seminal Die Sperator Mich Constantustri Nachten Fundis in Austerich Jungard, 1901. He argued that the art of the 4th and 5th and 6th century did not rep represent a collapse of classical standards but a continuation and development of what were before. Partly under the influence of Rigo, more and more historians, historians began to view the early Germanic kingdoms of the 5th and 6th century as clients of the empire rather than destroying conquerors. Documents of the time they noted showed that the barbarian princes seem to have done everything in their power to prevent Rome, Roman institutions, not to prevent, to preserve Roman institutions and laws. They regarded themselves as functionaries of the empire, and they accepted Roman titles bestowed upon them by the emperor in Constantinople. The gold coins they used were struck with the image of the uh, Byzantine emperor and many of the offspring of these barbarian kings were raised and educated in Constantinople. Artistic and intellectual life seemed to have flourished under them, as did the economy and the cities built earlier in the time of Caesars. Of Caesars. 
whilst a widespread and prosperous trading network continue to connect West, Western Europe with the great centers of population and cultures of the Eastern Mediterranean. This much became clearer. By the late 5th and 6th century, a recognizable classical civilization still existed in Italy, Gaul, Spain, and North Africa as well. Of course, as in Byzantium and, yeah, Byzantium, and throughout the Eastern Mediterranean. The one exception was Britain which had been more or less lost to the Roman world in the 5th century, yet even here, in the only province where the Germanic invaders actually imposed their language, there began to emerge evidence of a much more robust Roman survival than had previously been imagined. And yet, having said all that, scholars could hardly ignore the fact that classical civilization did indeed die, and die completely throughout Western Europe and North Africa. This seemed to have occurred sometime between the mid-7th and early 8th century. Cities were abandoned Literacy plummeted, royal authority declined, and local strongmen or barons seized control of the provinces. The Middle Ages had begun, but the fact that the Germanic kings had presided over prosperous and apparently flourishing late Roman societies for two centuries, two centuries without destroying them, merely brought forth the question more and more urgently. What then did finally destroy those societies? This was the conundrum facing medieval historians in the early years of the 20th century. One of those who turned his attention to the problem was Belgian historian Henry Perrine, originally specializing in Belgian history from 1915 onward, Perrine began to look with a, the wider European picture, or look to the wider, look, began to look at the wider European picture. And by the middle of the 1920s, he had arrived at the radical conclusion classical civilization had not been destroyed by the Goths, Vandals, and Huns, or indeed by the Christian church. It was destroyed by a people who it had. even then become fashionable to credit with saving Western civilization. The Arabs published the Arabs, the evidence 
as Perrine was to uh, was at pains to show in his uh, posthumously published Muhammad at Charlemagne, Charlemagne and 1938 seemed incontrovertible. From the mid-7th century, trade between the ancient centers of high culture and the Levant and the West seemed to have come, become to an abrupt halt. Luxury items originating in the Eastern Mediterranean, which were mentioned routinely in the literature until the end of the 6th century, disappeared completely by the mid-7th century as the latest. The flow of gold, which the West derived from the East, seemed to have dried up. Gold coinage disappeared, and with it went the town and urban settlements of Italy, Gaul, and Spain. Documents of the period made it very clear that these, especially the ports, owed their wealth to the Mediterranean trade, worst of all, perhaps from the perspective of culture and learning, the importation of papyrus from Egypt seemed to have entirely ceased. Perrine stressed that fact that this material, which had been shipped into Western Europe in vast quantities since the time of the Roman Republic, was absolutely essential for a thousand purposes in a literature in a literate and mercantile civilization. And the editing of the supply would have had an immediate and catastrophic effect on levels of literacy. This must have these must have dropped almost overnight to levels perhaps equivalent to those of pre-Roman times. Perini, Perini held that the disappearance of such Levantinian products in the middle of the 7th century pointed to only one possible conclusion that the Arabs whose well-known predilection for piracy has been documented for centuries must have, through their raiding and freebooting, effectively terminated all trade in the Mediterranean with, uh, excuse me, thus isolating Western Europe both intellectually and economically. Prior to that, he noted, the whole of the West was heavily under the influence of Byzantium, Byzantium, and was becoming increasingly so. 
He stressed that the Germanic kings of Gaul and Spain regarded themselves as functionaries of the Eastern Europe, or excuse me, the Eastern Emperor, Emperor, who was for them still the Roman Emperor. They accepted the titles bestowed upon them by Constantinople and the coins they minted for the things, or the images, or image of emperor. When the office of emperor of the West was abolished in 476, Odoacer sent an insignia of the office to Constantinople. So all uh, previous, so all pervasive was the power of Byzantium, said Perini, that no Germanic ruler dare assume the imperial purple and declare himself emperor. Although Constantinople lacked the military resources necessary to establish real control of the western province, Justinian's attempt was only partly successful. Her vast wealth gave her effective control. While she could not send her own armies to punish recalcitrant princes, she could hire whatever military assistance she needed from other barbarian chiefs. So complete was Constantinople's control that only once before in in the 7th century did a Germanic monarch issue coinage with his own image, rather than that of the emperor. This was in the time of the Frankish king, uh, Theodobart, Theodobert I, Theodobert I, who found himself at war with Justinian in Italy in 546 through 548. This singular display of independence on the the part of a barbarian monarch was noted, Perini, bewailed by Procopius, Procopius, excuse me, who viewed uh, it as a deplorable sign of decadence and decline. The next time a Germanic king had showed such independence was in 620, in the 620s, during the reign of Colther or Clother, Clother, or Clother the second, Clother, yeah, Clother, Clother the second. Clother the second was a contemporary of the European Heraclius, Heraclius, Hercules, who was, or who, who, 
in whose time Byzantium first came into conflict with the Arabs. From the time of Clother II onwards, no Western monarch would ever again mint coins bearing the image of a Byzantine emperor. The significance of this fact was stressed at length by Perrine. Eventually, the impact of the Persian and Arab assaults on Byzantium during the first half of the 7th century was so great that the province of the West were able to detect them by detect detects detect themselves excuse me detach themselves both politically and culturally from the empire we know that within a few decades between the 620s and the 640s the empire lost much of Anatolia all of Syria and Egypt, by far the richest and most populous of her provinces, Constantinople herself was besieged by an Arab fleet between seven, excuse me, 674 and 678, and again in 718. And with the empire <clears throat> now weakened, Apparently beyond repair, the Germanic king of the West, said Perrine, began to assert their independence. This was signaled by the minting of coins bearing their own images, and it was uh, to end in the formal reestablishment of the Western Empire under a Germanic king. Charles the Great, King of the Franks. Thus, for Perini, the detachment of the West from the East, politically, culturally, and religiously, was a direct consequence of the arrival on the world stage of Islam. Without Mohammedan or Mohammed, said Perini, Charlemagne is inconceivable. And that's very interesting because as we go along, he's going to argue the possibility that Charmaine never existed. State propaganda, even back then. <clears throat> so I apologize for the butchering of the reading, but anybody listening to the show should know that by now. That's what I do. So, it seems a little bit dry, and I understand, and it is dry, but it's necessary. When it comes to history, most of history is pretty dry. So, yeah, what do we do now? Throat's kind of dry. Um, yeah. 
interesting infanticide. I know it's it's hard for even for us to even comprehend that, but these people were well, it was part of their culture, and part of Baal worship. And when you really look into um, the idolatry, the true practices of Rome, what they call Catholicism, well, uh, infanticide is still created and done. And they do it almost in a religious way. Like it is a religious way. Like it's a religious uh, a way of summoning jinns or uh, demons. And, uh, but I can imagine, I mean, I I still remember when my son was born five years ago, because then I'm really like, oh, but, and I could hold him like a football. And I may ever hold him walking around the neighborhood real proud and fold him like a football. And I can't imagine the degree of self-centeredness and wickedness that must have been going on even during the time of Christ when we walk in the earth. We look at the Roman Empire and uh, its practice of infanticide and, and uh, abortion that uh, a lot of people, especially poor folk, didn't have kids because or children because uh, they you know, didn't want to raise them in a disadvantaged environment. How many times do you hear that kind of stuff? I remember I used to think that way too before uh, the Lord got a hold of me. That you know, um, well, you know, that's it's a terrible thing to raise. Uh, children in this day and age. And I think it's all part of uh, the PSYOPs, the government, the empire PSYOPs, to convince people that having children is somehow going to interfere with your career plans and your um, things that you want. Materialism was rampant back then, and self-centeredness was always like that. I mean, we can see a strong correlation if you're willing to read between the lines and just uh, glimpse the pieces here and there that we're no different than the classical period in Rome as far as our behavior, our attitudes, our outlooks on life. The brave new world, the new world order. And um, yeah. It's pretty sad. It said uh, we are in the midst of uh, a long period of sadness. I don't believe that we live in the end of the days. And I don't believe that um, it's true, but you know, believers of the Christ that we um, 
we don't fall into this trap. I affect everyone, even you're not even Christian, not to fall into this trap. Which is self-evident. I look back at my own life and how I was God-given conscience that I had. It wasn't as still being sharpened was been changed, but uh, it was always self-evident that what was going on in Israel was wicked, is wicked. Um, that uh, hegemony or this whole desire to turn the whole world into uh, satellites, corporate satellites of United States. But then I had to learn some history, and I had to start putting places and pieces together. The United States is yeah, it's definitely a Jesuit creation, and it's full more Roman Catholic and connected to the the um, hierarchy of Europe, Western Europe. So, and a lot of people want to think that we are somehow been this kind of amazing empire that's really this amazing empire building. But the truth of the matter is the powers that be never let it happen. We look at since World War II and one debacle after another. Uh, no new land being gained in any of that period except maybe some, some islands in the Pacific. Nothing. And so one can only conclude that this is enough time to realize that this country has been falsely labeled an empire and that somehow we have independent isolationist attitudes toward the world and we would never do. We are the ones who are ushering and I say we, uh, the economic and political elites of North America are have been the ones ushering in globalism. So you know the jobs are received for a great uh, for, for for a very good reason, and this is all about control. So one of the things you got to reconcile, if the majority of the Bible has already been done away with in seventy A.T. What's going on? Why are the religious elites, the ones, the puppets that are propped up, are the ones constantly telling us that this end of days, end of days scenario, oh, look at this, that, and everything. Um, we're not in the end of days. In fact, if you listen to me in the next month or two, you're going to discover that the Bible literally does say it's separate, opposite of the scenario that's been pumped into our heads of an end-time scenario. Um, it's lie. It's not biblical. It's not based on reality. I believe that Christendom has always been in bed with the state and they use a lot of these young guys in their 20s and 30s to do their little websites and YouTube channels and saying this, that, and the other. All, all this is revolving around some kind of 
pre-trib, post-trib, uh, middle-trib, or historicist's point of view, negating the reality uh, of, of re- audience relevancy um, of their language, the Jewish language of apocalyptic, apocalyptic uh, figurative language poetry that God and the prophets of old used and Christ used as well and all the writers of the New Testament. Sense of urgency is becoming more and more clear to me and that all things, in my opinion, further is worse, and I will share it with you as time goes on, is that how it was fulfilled in 70 AD. I believe that most historians or most thorough researchers, independent thorough researchers of the Bible, come to the same conclusion. I believe that the the red herring, the false argument of the Jesuits, a Jesuit created preterism. He might have, as far as a model goes, as far as a human system goes. But the more I read the Bible, and it's pointed out to me, it's starting to look very, very clear that it was all fulfilled in 70 AD. The ending of the Jewish age, the old covenant, is the finality of that, and the final ushering in of the new age, the Christian age, that will never go away. I think that uh, most scholars, especially those in, with the kind of resources necessary in time, the freedom to discover truth will come to the same conclusion. That we're not living in the last days. But they're exploiting our ignorance of the Bible, fear, fear mongering to convince people in uh, an end-day or end-time scenario. Now, I, no one knows how, how far God will allow these fools to go. But at the same token, we can look over and over again that God has used wicked institutions like the Roman Catholic Church or whatever it may be, the Jewish slave trade or the Muslim slave trade, or etc. Even European. All these different things, God uses for his own good. And I'm sure that many a person who's drug out of Africa, um, how barbaric the planet was, really, living in darkness, just like here, the tens of millions of North American indigenous people slaughtered. But it also allowed the footprint of Christianity to spread. So I don't know. I don't know. 
But if it is true that everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, then, and I know everyone's going to say, you know, the Jesuit, some Jesuit created it. Well, they didn't create the language. Maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they created the New Testament. I know it sounds like heresy, but it seems to me that if we believe the Bible be, to be the world of God, then that is what it is. And what he's saying is something completely, utterly, 180 degrees with any the average person, pastor, biblical teacher, is saying. And the only thing I can think of that is because they're afraid of losing their little empires and their riches. They write their little books about nothing. Because to know that Second Coming actually happened in 70 AD gives the individual a whole bunch of power. No, you can't deceive me anymore about the Zendites. No, you can't deceive me by the blood moons or whatever it may be. Not that he ever deceived, anybody ever deceived me about that, but you know what I'm saying. As far as our neck of the woods, that's to Rome, the Jesuits, the crypto Jews who run this show, in the end are going to triumph. It says otherwise. Christ is going to try. They're going to use their wickedness with their intent for evil. He's going to turn it around for his good, his glory. The kingdom of Christ. You must ask you, how can you possibly say this doesn't come or happen? Well, as we go along and study this stuff, it's starting to look pretty clear that this would happen. I just... Uh, Trying to put the pieces in. And um, what you got to remember about the audience the audience of the Old New Testament is not us. We get the privilege and honor to glimpse into it and to learn about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the vast majority of it, if not all of it, is directed towards. Um, Jews, Israelites of that day. And when it's finally finished, it's over with. So this whole thing about Jewish faith is, and anybody supporting any of it, is basically supporting a giant lie. A lie that cannot be substantiated by Scripture or your God-given ability to rationalize and to come up with really logical conclusions. Anyways, immediacy. Immediacy is a big issue when it comes to the New Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament, there's no immediacy for these prophecies. But in the New Testament... From the beginning of the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, on down to the very end of Revelation, it's all talking about 
is using words that are expressing immediacy that is going to happen now, shortly, in this generation. Well, it's not going to happen in this gen- our generation, 49 years, generations later. That would happen then. Well, we've been grafted into the house, the olive tree, the olive branch, and um, we should be really happy about that. We should be really celebrating. So, where do I go with all this stuff? Is it going on? I have no idea. But in the meantime, we can have fun and learn more about history. Now, this history lesson is going to be seemingly dry. But as time goes on and you start putting the pieces together, there's a good possibility when we get done with this reading and studying of these two books from Emmett Scott that your jaw is going to drop. The degree of deception that's out there in this world is amazing. And it affects, infects all areas of our lives. So, what do you do? So talk the truth about it. Maybe it's all wrong. Maybe it's all bag, bag of wind. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. But I got a feeling it does mean something. Ow. So, anyways. I must get some sleep. Hey, Andrew, thank you once again for uh, helping out, man. I'm a panhandler. That's good. I'll work out in the end. Absolutely. By the way, thank you for uh, helping me out with $20. It was was very generous of you, and it helped, helped my son. I got him some... Toys. I haven't had any money all a month, so. Anyways. Thank you, Andrew, and God bless your brother. All praise and glory go to our God, the ancients of days, the fountainhead of truth, Heavenly Father, and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Yep, let's have a good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.